Hi all, before we get cracking with the next episode, uh, just an apology for myself due to some technological issues. You might find some issues with my audio, but I hope you can still enjoy the episode and enjoy listening to Laura and Tomo. Cheers. Welcome to the Premier Podcast, where freelance discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a look back on the Premier League action as Liverpool, Man City, Arsenal will win. The race for top four is hotting up as Spurs win late, as do Man United against fellow contenders Aston Villa. Review the key games from the EFL, including Southampton nearly, but not quite losing the Premier Pod Cup. It's back round to me for this week's trivia question, and we'll finish with Lionel, who talks three overs 4-2 win away at Tunbridge Angels. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Let me come to you first. So obviously Man City won Harlem Brace. Liverpool beat Burnley with Yotta, Nunes and uh, Diaz all scoring. And then Arsenal kicked us off on Super Sunday against West Ham. We spoke on the last part about how that potentially looks a tricky fixture, but you rightly called out that Arsenal would need to win that uh, to stay in the title race. And they more than won it. They absolutely thumped West Ham 6-0. Yeah, and I think when a team's 4-0 down at half-time, there's you know a significant role in that result comes from one team not quite being at it. So Arsenal may be a little bit lucky in that regard. But um, we said last week when they beat Liverpool, that had to act as a catalyst for them to go on now and have a run of form like City do at the back end of every season if they're going to be in with a shout at the title this year. So going to West Ham and winning was something that they needed to do. Um, goals from all over the park, which is good to see. Two assists, two assists and a goal from Declan Rice, which... Um, I guess was probably written in the stars in hindsight. Both centre-backs grabbing a goal, Saka a brace. Really, really good afternoon for Arsenal. And uh, that top three now have got five points between third and fourth. Probably the most it's been this season, or certainly the most in a long time. And I think it's probably now that three-horse race, and then another three-horse race for fourth between Tottenham, uh, Villa and Man United. So a couple of mini-leagues there. And uh, yeah, on the flip side of that, I was listening to Talk Sport today and there was lots of disgruntled West Ham fans calling for David Moyes' head. So it just shows, um, I think they were saying they can't win a game without Pakatar. I think they've not won in seven or something like that. But the league tables are just slightly differently. So it just shows again the um, <laughs> the lack of time you get in football management to, to keep fans appeased. So great afternoon for Arsenal and obviously one to forget for, for the Hammers. Tommy, interesting point. We spoke about Crystal Palace before and their fans potentially not being as disheartened about their position in the table, more about their style of football. Do you think there's a case of that with West Ham where they completely understand they've won a European trophy, they're still fighting in the Europa League? I mean, their league position, they probably couldn't ask to be much higher in the Prem, but just don't like the style of play under David Moyes? Yeah, but I've, I've always had the opinion that Moyes is he's quite... Yes, he is pragmatic, but I wouldn't call him as pragmatic as the likes of Roy Hodgson or Sean Dyche. He, he can get a result, um, especially in Europe over the last couple of years. I don't really understand, to be honest, too much about the the qualms over his position. Um, what, what I found interesting today on social media, actually, was the uh, debate over whether fans who go to the game should should or shouldn't be allowed to leave early, which I found quite interesting because my opinion is if you, if you've got <clears throat> if you've got a ticket to the game, you have you're well within your rights to do whatever the fuck you like with it. Whether you go to the game, you're three nil up or three nil down, sorry, after ten minutes, and you walk out because you want to beat the traffic or because you want to just go and have a pint, then each to their own. Um, I think the criticism, crit, criticism basically comes from people who are a little bit jealous that they're not at the game, maybe. Um, but when you look at that performance yesterday, it was probably West Ham's poorest performance in a long time. And they've had a couple of really bad ones that you you think back to the, I think it was the Carabao Cup, they got they got absolutely battered, didn't they, by Liverpool, um, which was quite a bad one as well. So... That's the thing with West Ham at the minute. They, they they are where they are. They're quite inconsistent. 
And even the games that they were winning, like before Christmas, when they beat Man United, I think they beat Tottenham, they beat Arsenal, they were by far the worst team on the day and they just nicked the result. And sometimes that can catch up on you and then all of a sudden you're the worst team on a day and you get spun 6-0. And then the criticism becomes really heavy. So, I don't know. I, I, I think he's, he's sort of in a, on a hiding to nothing because like you say, he's in a good league position. They're doing really well in Europe. They won a European trophy last year. There's not really a lot more he could be doing. So, it's a, t- it's a tough gig really. The point that was coming through today on TalkSport from West Ham fans were that there's obviously a narrative that West Ham should be happy to be eighth, but they were sort of saying, look at the squad that we've got now, Bowen, Kudus, Paqueta, Phillips, Ward-Prowse. They've got like a, a bit more of an embarrassment of riches than West Ham teams of years gone by, maybe. And then they're looking at the likes of Villa, particularly this season, and thinking, why can't we make a step up towards that. And I know it's easy to say on the back of a 6-0 defeat, all the negativity comes out. And I think, to your point of fans leaving the game early, 4-0 down in a London derby, um, you can kind of accept it on that one. But yeah, one of the fans on TalkSport said, look, we're not Rotherham. Why are we being judged as if we're a relegation battling team Then we should be happy to be in the top half? West Ham won a European Cup last season. I think what they're saying is we want to push on now. We don't want to be looking over our shoulder and going the other way. And maybe they're just at a bit of a juxtaposition as to whether they're going to be a team looking over their shoulder or whether they're going to be one of the villas. And maybe that's where the David Moyes question comes into it. Has he taken them as high as he possibly can? And do they need maybe a bit more of a progressive manager to come in? Um, That same fan did follow it up with the suggestion of Gary O'Neill coming in. So... Um, six or one half of the dozen on that one, and uh, we'll see. We'll see where we go. But uh, big shout that I think O'Neill for West Ham. Yeah, that's that's a massive moment in time, isn't it? Obviously, he's done well at Bournemouth and really well at Wolves this year. But if you look at the managers on the sidelines, you look at the Graham Potter and Steve Coopers of this world. You could, you could, especially Graham Potter. You could see he would come in and fit perfectly at West Ham, and he would provide that forward-thinking, um, progressive style of play that I guess the West Ham fans are, um, well, they want, obviously, over over David Moyes. I think what, what the crux of it is, basically, this is the ceiling. And like Laura's just pointed out, if this is the ceiling with David Moyes, why wait and give him a two-year contract when you could potentially get another manager and go even higher? So... It's a tough one, but I'd probably agree that with maybe the West Ham fans in the sense of maybe Moyes has done a great job there. Thank you for your time, but let's get a Grand Potter in or someone like that to move it forward. I think with the West Ham side as well is that maybe a couple of years ago, you'd have been like they're a bit more suited to that Moyes style of play, sort of Antonio being a bit of a bulldozer, Suchek scoring from set pieces. But in that Pakatar, Bowen, Kudos, Ward Prowse sort of side. They've got decent players now, haven't they, as well? Like actual footballers who could potentially implement a more progressive style of play. I do get a little bit caught up in what does that actually mean. I think John Terry said, Danny, that every chairman asked for that, albeit that was in slightly lower divisions. But um, I think they've got the players now to actually be a, a front foot team. Um, you've seen how, as I say, name those names again, Kudus. Pakitar, Bowen, how they can play. Um, so, yeah, may, maybe it is the right time for, for David Moyes. I just think still in the Europa League, still in a chance of qualifying to Europa League next year, won the European Cup last year. It would be really, really harsh on him. But um, maybe rather than let it sort of bleed out and he'll end up leaving in a really sorry state of affairs where he's getting sacked, it's almost could be like an amicable handover to somebody else and you've done an amazing job and go out on a high rather than how most managers seem to go out on quite a low. Yeah, but and... The least shock of the century would be they bring in like a Graham Potter or someone of that ilk and they struggle to make that transition from a a mid-table functional side, an efficient side, and then they drop down the table and then in 18 months they have to bring Moyes back in because that's what they did with Pellegrini. Um, So it's not as easy as just getting a flashy manager, getting a couple of good players and then turning your whole philosophy around. It's it takes time, but I guess as fans, you like 
hope is a big thing, isn't it? And you, you're, you're hopeful that your your team can be better every season. And maybe, like I said before, this is just the ceiling at West Ham. Not to say that David Moyes hasn't done a brilliant job, because he has, but maybe this is just the ceiling. And so maybe it is the right time for all parties to um, move on and, and have a new challenge, etc. And, and he hasn't won a football game this year. And we are in mid-February now. So sometimes as like a neutral, that can bypass you. But as a West Ham fan, you'll be pretty fed up if you haven't won a game since the end of December. And quite a lot of them were saying, look, he's just got caught out. Pakatar's um, got injured and it's coincided with us not being able to release anyone into goal-scoring positions and like calling them one-trick ponies and stuff like that. So, you know, six weeks is a pretty significant period of time not to win a football match. Um, having said that, the two games before that, Arsenal beat uh, West Ham beat Arsenal, Man United. So there's the fickleness of football. Yeah, it is indeed. I know there was obviously a loss to Bristol City in that as well, low league opposition in the cup, which they went out with a whimper. So yeah, it, that's such an odd one. It's like a couple of results time and West Ham, you're like, right, you're in sixth place. There's literally not much more you can do to potentially in a couple of weeks' time, them saying, look, that's, that's enough now. Uh, Moisey, and we're going to look elsewhere. So just touched on the, the sort of big top three sides there, guys, but the race for top four is hotting up. So uh, Tottenham left it really late to win. Brennan Johnson scored, I think, the 96th minute. Sonny back from Asia Cup duties, gets played on down the left-hand side, whips a ball in and Brennan Johnson steers it home. And that sort of puts them into pole position in, in fourth place. And then Super Sunday, Tomo, Man United win 2-1 uh, at Villa. So just from a Man United perspective, maybe not a great performance, but a huge result for United. Yeah, you take you took the words right out of my mouth there. I was going to say it might not have been the best performance, but a massive result. Um, I thought we got away with one a little bit. Villa had their chances, they had their openings, and they just couldn't finish the dinner. Arguably, Andre on Andre Anana's strongest performance at United, even though there weren't any like world class saves in there, but there was obviously good saves in there, no blunders, which is, which is all you can ask for. Um, yeah, pro- probably got away with the result there. So you bring on Scott McTominay for Marcus Rashford after what was it, 65 70 minutes, and Sort of on the face of it, it looks like a defensive substitution, but we all know Scott McTominay's got a goal in him. He scored, I think he's our top scorer now with seven goals this season. And his goals have um, resulted in Man United winning 12 points. So he's always coming up clutch in those big moments. And a shout out to Diogo Delot. Obviously, we spoke a, bit, a, a lot about him with Statman Dave the other day. And to be fair, rightly so, Delot does come in for a bit of criticism because he does get a little bit lazy sometimes with his defending. But you cannot question his quality on a cross. And that was an unbelievable cross. And Scott McTominay, all he needed to do was just come in, time it perfectly, and obviously keep had no chance. Um, another good performance from Rasmus Hoyland, 5-5 five five now for him, um, which I think makes him the second youngest ever Premier League player to score in five consecutive games. Um, because sometimes you forget how young he is because he's that United's number nine and he's got that responsibility on his shoulders. He almost carries himself as like a 23, 24 year old and he's only 20. So look, not the best of performances, but at the end of the day, when you go away to these big teams and Villa, you have to class them as a big team this season, especially because they're in the Champions League or they were in the Champions League spaces. I think they're fifth now. Um, it's just to get a result, and it's a good result, and you move on, and that's three wins, three wins in a row for United. So, happy days. For me, you've hit the nail on the head there with mentioning Onana and Hoyland, because when you simplify football, you just one of the most important things is to be good in both penalty areas. And there's been too many times this season where you haven't been able to put the ball in the back of the net, and it's been far too easy to score against you with horrific goalkeeping mistakes. And give him his due. We've given him his stick when he's deserved it, which is a lot this season. Onana did make some, make some big saves yesterday, particularly one from Ollie Watkins at the front post. And Hoyland just looks like he's going to score every game now. He's got a little bit more of an aura about him that looks like he's going to stick the ball in the back of the net. And what that does, a bit like what we said about Martinez, makes the defenders and the defensive unit more confident around him when he plays. It will make the wingers and everyone around him, Bruno Fernandes, coming onto things and creating stuff, more confident that they're going to score goals. And that will um, pay dividends for Man United. And look, 
I think, Murph, we talked about three games ago. You were a little bit worried about the run of form um, or the run of fixtures that was to come. Wolves, West Ham and Villa, nine from nine. Not bad. Yeah. No, I predicted zero points from that. And that wasn't being that pessimistic. Well, I said we wouldn't win any of them. I didn't see us going to Molyneux and winning because we don't win away from home. We've not won at a top nine side under Ten Hag away from home. So Villa Park, I thought absolutely nothing. And our home form's not been that great either. So I thought West Ham might be a sticky one when they had beat, beaten us at home recently as well over the Christmas period. So credit where it's due, nine from nine. We've now got with Fulham and Luton games, the sort of games where we might have slipped up, like where we've had the Bournemouth result and that sort of thing this year, the Palace result, the Brighton result. We need to make sure that we back that up now before going into the Manchester derby. But um, can't say fairer than that. And doing it without Lissandro Martinez yesterday uh, was a massive plus. And Luke Shaw going off at half-time. When um, Lindelof came on at left I was really, really worried. And I thought Leon Bailey was going to win in that game. And actually, like, I want to speak a bit about Villa and not to concentrate on United here because Leon Bailey was brought off for Tindemans when they equalised and kind of looked to me like um, Unai Emery had almost thought to himself, if we do get a draw here, we keep Man United at arm's length in this top four, top five race. And it obviously didn't pay off for him in the end. And that's now... Lost against Newcastle at home, lost against Chelsea in the Cup at home, lost against Man United at home. It's been confirmed today that Bubagar Kamara's got a knee injury, ligament injury that's going to keep him out for the rest of the season. Tyrone Mings is already obviously out for the rest of the season. Ezri Concert has picked up an injury, looks like he's going to be out long term. Do you think they're just hitting a bit of a rut at the wrong time, maybe uh, with a, a sort of top four race in, in flight at the minute, then it'd be worrying for them? Yeah, they're going to run out of steam, aren't they, in terms of keeping up pace for top four, that's for sure. Um, can they still get fifth? I think it's probably the bigger one now. I, don't, I would fancy both Spurs and Man United um, to have far more chance now of getting fourth, even though Villa are still a little way ahead of United. But probably just experience. And just to, I've said this so many times this season with Villa. It just feels like they don't quite believe they're a top four club. And I know it was Man United yesterday, but quite often this season, they've dropped points in the stupid games, like your Sheffield United, like your Bournemouths, like your Forests. So when you do that, it cancels out City and Arsenal. You might as well lose to City and Arsenal and beat Bournemouth and Forest. Do you know what I mean? And it's just that belief in the bigger uh, in the games where they're expected to win, that yes, we are going to get the three points and continue to build. And it just feels like they get a bit of vertigo. And then you mix that in with the injuries and the suspensions and stuff. Um, and a little bit of uh, bad luck here and there, and maybe poor decision-making from Unai Emery yesterday in a big game, and it just culminates in just sliding down the table a little bit. I mean, look, Villa lying in fifth place in the table is no disgrace, is it? But having the start of the season that they did to now be staring back down the battle of not getting top four, that would be desperately disappointing, but uh, also something to build on and maybe go again next season. But one more thing I just wanted to mention on Man United, I think Kobe yeah. Maynard is a, a brilliant player. I mean, I was watching him yesterday, and I, I know he's a, a central midfielder. He's not one of the like tens or anything like that. But sometimes the way that he moves the, with the ball is a little bit like Foden, the way he looks after it and just like pops it through players' legs. He did it for the goal that he scored against Wolves. He did it again to someone um, against Villa yesterday, and he just looks like a 28-year-old centre midfielder playing with that kind of confidence and aura about him in a however old he is, year-old body. Um, so there's no no coincidence that him coming into the team has coincided with that nine points from nine um, as well. So Onana, Kobe Mainu, Hoyland, even Harry Maguire playing well as well. A good spine to the team that's helped you in this little vein of form since Christmas, really. I don't think you've lost a game this year. No, good signs. And actually, uh, Statman Dave said that he was hoping that Kobe Mainu would spend his summer on the beach and I had a couple of listeners who've reached out to me and said that sums selfish Man United fans up and that he should very much be going to uh, represent England in the summer. So if there's non-Man United fans starting to talk about that over your likes of your Longstaff, Smiley's, Curtis Jones, all these other players that are in the uh, mix for it, then he's definitely doing something right. So uh, so good for him. Uh well, so just to, to look ahead um, to some midweek action that's starting to come back up, and obviously this is something else with Villa that they have to contend with as well, they start, the European football starting to pick back up, and they're going to be looking at that uh, Europa Conference League. But this week we have got the Champs League back. Not the best draw 
in the world, Tomo, for the last 16. But Man City have got Copenhagen, which should probably, if they destroy Copenhagen, show how poorly Man United performed in the group stage of Copenhagen going through ahead of them. Uh, but also, we have got other European interests from an England point of view. Harry Kane's Bayern Munich back in action against Lazio and Jude Bellingham's Real Madrid uh, against Leipzig. So, uh, not the best draw, but a few ties to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's always interesting at this stage of the competition, I think, because it's where the likes of your Real Madrid start coming alive, really. And it was one of the the big criticisms of the group stage, or the yeah the group stages over the last couple of years. They've been quite predictable with all the teams that are going through. Um, but yeah, you are right. The draw is pretty poor. The only interesting thing about that Man City Copenhagen game is the fact that Man United played Copenhagen. So you can kind of compare City's performance to United's. But we all know United were crap. And Copenhagen have almost reached their mountaintop now by qualifying for the last 16. So anything's a bonus for them now. So it's, um, it is exciting times. I feel like this Champions League, I don't know what it is, whether it's the African Cup of Nations just um, happening. And obviously that, that final took place last night. There just doesn't seem to be any hype around the Champions League being back. Um, I don't know whether that just happens every year and I'm just forgetting how things are, but just feel, or, or whether it's the draw that's poor. I don't know, but usually you get like one big tie, like a Real Madrid versus PSG or a, or a Man City PSG or something like that, but it just doesn't seem to be that way this year. Yeah, Bellingham obviously being abroad now and it being a year this year as well, do you sort of have a vested interest in those guys potentially going and winning the Champs League Obviously, hopefully going to win their domestic trophies, albeit uh, Leverkusen beat Bayern at the weekend. But doing that sort of Euros UCL double would be amazing for an English player, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be amazing for them. My vested interest in Kane and Bellingham is making sure neither of them get injured. So if that means they're sitting out the Champions League final, I couldn't care less. They're the two most important players in the country, aren't they? And they don't even play it. So very hard to keep proper tabs on them. And uh, hopefully Kane isn't too disappointed at the end of the season that he's the first player to go to Bayern Munich and not win the league in about 100 years. And he'll be fit and firing for the Euros. Same with Bellingham. Obviously, he's having an amazing season for Real Madrid. I'll be honest, I couldn't care less what they do, really, other than just don't get injured and be ready to play on the 16th of June. Um, against Serbia or whoever it is we've got in the opener. Yeah. Just before we move on to the EFL, just where you just touched on the AFCON, uh, and we've not really covered any of it at all, other than some of the players who've obviously gone to the tournament from from the Prem so far. But a bit of a story uh, that's come out of it with Ivory Coast. So I think if I'm not saying that they finished third in their group, got beat for now, they were going to go out at one stage, so parted ways with their manager. They've then asked to have an old manager back on loan, which got blocked, so gave their assistant manager to step up, and then they've had some jeopardy through the knockout stages, but accumulated in a final yesterday against Nigeria, and then a uh, player who's had a bit of a tricky couple of years, or tough couple of years, uh, scoring the winner for Ivory Coast in front of the home fans. Yeah, and Sebastian Haller is obviously their their big star, their big number nine. And he's the first, I think, three or four games of the tournament, he was injured um, and just sort of working his way back to fitness. So they, they really struggled early on. But I think he he started his first game with semi-final and he scored the goal that sent him through to the final. And then obviously last night he scored a really good goal um, to win him the tournament, and it was it's quite like you say, a nice story. He got he got diagnosed with testicular cancer in 2022, beat it because he caught it nice and early. Came back last year for Dortmund, um, and obviously he's been playing quite well and, and well enough to get into the squad. And um, yeah, it's, it, it you, we cast a sort of a, a glance tonight as English fans over here, just because we we keeping an eye, I guess, on the Premier League stars over there, etc. See if they're not getting injured or selfishly, if, you, if you've got like Andre Anana there, you might want him back or, or you want him to stay, depending on which way you are as a United fan. But it, yeah, it was nice to see. I, I watched the um, both semi-finals and the final and it's always a good story, I think, when a host nation wins the tournament because it just brings out 
like the celebrations, the jubilation and all of that. And there were some really nice scenes in um, Ivory Coast last night that I posted on Twitter today. So, yeah, well done, Sebastian Hammer, and well done, Ivory Coast. You can always count on the African football fans, can't you, to create that kind of amphitheatre of vibrance. Whenever they come to the World Cup, all their fans are like a story of colour and dancing and music, and it's really, really good. And I'm pleased for them that they've got this mass- this brilliant story with Seb Haller scoring the winning goal for Ivory Coast. Did you just say the manager got sacked halfway through the tournament? Yeah. yeah. Well, that, so just that-, sums, sums, that just sums it up, doesn't it? That... That competition is just chaos. I think I'm right in saying that the quarterfinals this year, the final eight, were a completely different cast to the last time. How brilliant is that? Yeah. Um, and to see a team that sacked their manager with a goal-scoring hero that's got that kind of cancer comeback story as well is just fantastic. And I, I, I must admit, I only turned it on for the final 30 seconds of stoppage time last night. But yeah, seeing all the uh, the fans dressed in orange, dancing around and enjoying themselves, I think... Brilliant advert again for the African Cup of Nations and a competition that does deserve an awful lot more respect, not just from players and managers in England, um, even questioning whether they should go or not, but probably like coverage um, from normal football fans like us. Maybe next time I'll watch every game and get stuck right into it because it seems good fun. Yeah, actually, that's a good point you make there. Sebastian Haller, I posted a quote of his from um, 2022 or maybe 2021 it was. And a journalist asked him in the build-up to AFCON whether he would prefer to stay with his club. I think his club at the time would have been, maybe might have been, been West Ham. Um, or Dortmund, yeah. Yeah, or Dortmund. And, and, or would you prefer to stay with your club or do you, want to, do you want to go to AFCON? And he just turned around and said, you would never, like the disrespect you're showing African football there, you would never ever ask that question of a European player, albeit... You don't have to ask that question to them because obviously they they play their tournaments in the off season in the summer, but it is it is right we 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 do sort of view the Afcon as a bit of a annoyance with our Premier League eyes with our Premier League sort of um, bias towards it because I, I mean if you're Tottenham you had Basuma out Sonny in the Asian Cup Saar um, as well so there's three of your best players. And it almost like Tottenham fans will be thinking, oh, I just want them back. And the reality is those players are going to win a tournament for their country that will, it's like one of their biggest um, career goals. So, look, it was it was a really good tournament. And um, like you say, with all the shocks, all the surprises, all the storylines, all the memes, just it's always got that um, nutty edge to it, I think. Um, and obviously... It sums up with Ivory Coast winning it, having sacked their manager after three games. So, I, I'm trying to think of that in a Euro sense. So, I think this could actually happen in this tournament because I think there are some third teams, third place teams in the groups who can go through. So, it's the equivalent of England finishing third in their group, it looking like they won't qualify as one of the best sort of third place teams. So, sacking Gareth Southgate, they're then going through and winning the tournament, and Steve Holland lost in the Euros. It's just absolutely nuts and mayhem, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it. You've just called it nuts and the Africans have a nutty edge, but I would argue that whoever made that decision is maybe... Yeah, struck whilst the iron's hot and brought in a winner. And I would say it's nice to see Ivory Coast um, back in the glory because sort of... Growing up, maybe like in the 2000s and stuff, obviously synonymous with like Drogba and Yaya Torre, not really been one of the bigger forces in recent years. So for them to pop up and win the tournament, fantastic. And to do it with so many storylines surrounded them, excellent. Lovely to see. So, and then just one final mention as well, uh, for the Asia Cup as well, Qatar won that. Uh, and the guy who played in the final scored a hat-trick of penalties in the final as they won 3-1. So, uh, yeah, just Qatar a shout-out for the tournament as well. Qatar. Yeah. Wow. I, I wouldn't have said yeah, that it's... following watching some of those teams. Yeah. In the... How did South Korea do? South Korea got knocked out by, I want to say, Jordan in the quarterfinals. Um, oh. Or maybe even the semifinals. But, yeah, Qatar have gone back-to-back now. So they won it before the World Cup. And then they went to the World Cup. Well, they 
in their home country and absolutely stunk the place out. And now they've they've gone back to the Asian Cup, which it's hosted in Qatar again, and they've won it. So fair play to them. But to be fair, the Asian Cup is even further on off my radar. I didn't yeah. watch a single minute of that. I was going to say, that just shows my ignorance again. I just think to myself, whoever's got Son should win that tournament. Um, and yeah, obviously, they were the that's not the Well, there you go. It's, but to be beat by Jordan, I couldn't tell you one Jordan player. Um, yeah. Maybe I should. Sorry. Well, the thing is, Jordan beat South Korea 2 0, and then Qatar won 3 2 against Iran. And I think England have played Iran in a recent competition, haven't we, in the group stages? Yeah, we They're smashed them 6 0, didn't we? Oh, was it 6 yeah. 2? Yeah, oh, yeah, they did score. Yeah, they did score. England yeah, I think it's, yeah. Oh, her, the striker yeah. who's uh, I think at Porto scored a couple of goals I think against us. But yeah, so well done to Ivory Coast and to Qatar. Obviously, on winning major tournaments, and let's hope England can uh, join them in that in the summer. Move on to the EFL guys. Uh, Leicester one two one at Watford uh, again, a bit like Man City as we've touched on. So I don't need to go into it in too much detail. Although I did see Emmanuel Dennis back on the score sheet for Watford, which is a nice touch because uh, he had a couple of good years for Watford a couple of years ago and back with them now from Turkey. Tomo, we were in the group chat. We really thought the Premier Pop Cup was leaving Southampton, didn't we? I think Huddersfield two 0 up, three two up, uh, but Southampton are kind of a bit inevitable at the minute. Yeah, I think that was their 24th game um, unbeaten, if I'm not mistaken, if you're going to correct me. But yeah, and um, look, first time in a long time that that cup's been in jeopardy. And um, Russell Martin come out, didn't he, and said that um, he was really impressed with um, Huddersfield's first first half performance. But it just turned on that Joe Rothwell volley. And I urge anyone who hasn't seen that volley to go on social media to go on Sky Sports app or BBC and look at look for it. This is one of the volleys of the season. It just couldn't have hit it any sweeter and it just rifled into the top bins. And then a couple of minutes later, or maybe even a minute later, David Brooks played this absolutely world-class through ball into Joe Rothwell, who finished well, and then it was two-all game on. And he thought there's only going to be one winner. But then Huddersfield went down the other end and got a lucky deflected goal. That Gavin Bazunu in Southampton's goal, I'm not 100% convinced about him. I think he, the first goal that he let in um, from Sorber, is it Sorber Thomas, the um, the Welsh guy? He, I remember him from, um, for basically saying in the World Cup that they have nothing to fear going in against England and then we battered them. Um, but, but apart from that, he scored a good goal on the weekend against Southampton, but I thought Gavin Bazunu probably should have done better Probably, maybe a little bit harsh on me, but he probably should have done better with a third one as well. But then, look, Southampton, when you've got the likes of Fraser on the pitch, I think David Brooks didn't even start. He he, he was brought on. And and then you've got Seku, Seku Mara, who he doesn't really start very often. But when he played in the Prem last season, I thought there was something there. And every time I watch him in the highlights, he looks like an elite first-time finisher. Like, when he get when when he meets crosses first time he just seems to hit it at the right spot like hit it at the right angle and it's just a perfect finish so he he's a really good backup striker to have and yeah look 24 unbeaten it's a crazy championship season really because look we're going to come on to Leeds in a bit and Laura I'm sure you'll speak about them because they were really good as well but Leicester won again so it's like Leeds and Southampton are like two of the best championship sides we've seen in a long time and they're second and third it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Right, let's move on to Leeds. Leeds beat Rotherham 3 0. I um, think Bamford scored again and then a Somerville brace. But we've spoken for the last couple of pods about any other time Leeds' points per game is having them well clear in the automatics. I heard Russell Martin speaking to very similar effect uh, earlier on about Southampton. But Leeds just keep the, the kind of train going for them. Yeah, it makes me frustrated if you think back to the start of the season I know it's tongue-in-cheek but I kept saying we had to write off or just as Daniel Farker said because we didn't know what our um pot to spend was going to be until we managed to get people out the doors which inevitably takes until 
um, the end of the transfer window normally. If we could have just hit the ground running rather than having to take those five, six games off where we hardly won a game, it might have been a different story now when we might be up there. I'm not saying we'd be up with Leicester, but we might be within five points rather than within 12. So you're quite right when you look at the table now, Leicester, Southampton, Leeds. I don't want to be disrespectful to Ipswich, but it feels like it might open up into a, a little bit of a shootout between Leeds and Southampton. And it's just who's going to slip up the most between now and the end of the season. You can't really see either of them doing it that much. And to your point there, Tomo, uh, that um, David Brooks didn't even start. Neither did Rothwell and neither did Mara for Southampton at the weekend. And they scored four of the five goals. And we've got a friend whose dad is a Huddersfield fan. He was at the game and he said the difference was Southampton made three or four subs and they scored five goals. Um, how do you compete with that when you're Huddersfield in the Championship? It was very similar in the FA Cup last week when Leeds played Plymouth. One all, we bring off riches, embarrassment of riches off the bench and we win 4-1. So you can see the golf between those three teams and the rest of the league. And it's been evident all season. It's very hard to say anything more on it other than where does anyone slip up? And I am looking at Bristol City away for Southampton tomorrow night. And the reason I say that is because they've just come back off a obviously being 2-0 down and 3-2 down at the weekend. It probably took quite a lot out of them in, mentally in terms of having to do that comeback. So now to go to Bristol City, who are usually okay at home, um, on a Tuesday night under the lights, they'll be right up for it. Does that stink of a banana skin? I hope so, but probably wishful thinking. Just before we move on, I wanted to get your opinions, boys, on the Bamford goal. Because he's wheeled away there, having known he's handballed it, well, I wouldn't call it a handball. I'd call it like an arm ball. And, and he's wheeled away, celebrated like he scored a legitimate goal. And even in his celebration, he's, done, he's given it the old, the, old, the old elbow. What do you think? That's cheating, right? Or do you think, oh, just get an advantage. If the referee doesn't spot it, fair play. What I think to that is, and even particularly with Patrick Bamford, there are, there are enough occasions in the past where we haven't been given goals that were perfectly fine that referees and VAR, particularly in the Premier League, have ruled out against us. So it's if you want to say it swings and roundabouts, you've got to let us have the fucking roundabouts after we've had the swings. And I always remember a certain um, Patrick Bamford goal against Palace in the Premier League. I think it was the first season. We ended up losing the game 4-1, but he scored to make it 2-1 to us, I think. Perfectly good goal, two yards on side. But because he was pointing where he wanted the ball and an inch of his arm was behind the defender, they gave it off. I've never forgiven VAR since there. Since then, I've never <laughs> forgiven the world of refereeing and I will never begrudge Patrick Bamford taking any goal. And I want to see Leeds United's centre forwards taking anything he can get. So maybe it came off yeah. his T-shirt line. Who cares? No, it's not cheap. I did. Yeah, I did think. I did think the referee was a little bit slow to react to the fact that he's celebrated with the elbow, as if to yeah, say, you can't go back and be like, "Oh, you celebrated with your elbow, so you've handballed it." I think as a striker, you want to score a goals any means necessary. You'd handball the ball over the line from one yard out every time if it meant a goal going in for you. And go on, Larry. I was going to say, as the referees are always so quick to point out with their sort of ignorance towards players, when they're like, no, I'm in charge. Yeah, you're in charge. If it's handball, you call it. It's not my decision. It's not my yeah. job. I'm not, I, I can't no. tell you when it is and isn't a yellow card. If you haven't seen it, it's the referee that's cheating, if anyone. I find it more perplexing in the Premier League when someone scores with their arm. I remember Rashford scored like a second against Wolves with his hand. And I still see Prem players do it now. They run off and start celebrating. And you're like, you must know that that's on video. Like, If Bamford had done that in the Prem, he'd have been like, look, I've ambled out, I'm not going to get it. But they still wheel away. In the Championship, there'll be enough times if they've not got automated VAR where Bamford's been an inch on side and put it into put it into an empty net and gets flagged offside or the flag's up as he's bearing through on goal and he would have just scored, but he's pulled back. So... Rough with the smooth for Bamford, take that every day of the week. And I think if you offered him one of them every game, he'd take it. He wouldn't he wouldn't say anything. 
Um, just before we move on to the Ipswich game, Tom, I just want to get a bit on that from them. Uh, Huddersfield's next manager, uh, you say, Laura, we've got a friend of the pod who is a Huddersfield fan, and it looks like Michael Duff, odds-on favourite for them, 10 to 11, albeit I've heard the Huddersfield owner has said that it would be relying on a manager of Huddersfield living in and around Huddersfield, and believe Michael Duff's based in the southwest of the country uh, at the moment with his family. But just your thoughts on whether he'd be a good fit for the club. He'd be an excellent fit for the club. He's a manager that I rate, uh, rate very highly. He did fantastic at Cheltenham. Very close to getting Barnsley promoted last season. Given nowhere near enough time at Swansea, given the project and the sort of um, overhaul he had to try and contend with in terms of the style of play there after Russell Martin departed. And I can't imagine that it would be too much of an issue for Michael Duff to manage Huddersfield when he managed Barnsley, another team in Yorkshire, literally... 12 months ago so yeah I mean if I was the Huddersfield hierarchy or decision makers now I'd be doing everything I can to get him I think that would be a fantastic appointment fantastic appointment and not only might he keep them up he might actually progress them into becoming a you know a a top end championship team again rather than one that's looking over their shoulders all the time Um, and if the worst did happen this season they go down they'd certainly be the best bet to come straight back up next season just a couple of other people in the frame for that job. So Paolo Bianco's two to one. He's a manager in Seriba uh, of Italy. I think it's Monza that he is the manager of. Uh, John Wovington, six to one. No, John Wovington. He's like a Huddersfield. Um, <clears throat> I think he was like a former Huddersfield centre mid. So it wouldn't surprise. I don't know if he's assistant manager in the coaching staff there, but he's definitely someone, an ex-player with an affinity to Huddersfield. You normally see one of those lurking around the odds at some point, don't you? Maybe he's the caretaker at the moment. I'm not sure. But um, I think he had a very Paul- great spell at Yeovil as well. So up the John Worthington. Yeah. Uh, Paul Hockenbottom, 6-1. Alex Neal, 16-1. David Wagner to return there, 16-1. John Massinio at Portsmouth, 16-1. John Dahl Tomlinson, who I think's recently left Blackburn, sixteen to one, and Mark Hughes twenty to one. By that, so yeah, uh, looks like Michael Duff odds on for that. If not, a bit of a left field selection from Italy. Um, I would heavily advise them against that. Uh, be interesting to see what Huddersfield do there. Tomo, go back to Ipswich then. So Mo just said, not being disrespectful, but thinks that Southampton Leeds might be a bit of a shootout now for that second automatic. We've touched on Ipswich's form and it kind of dropping off completely, uh, but they did show a bit of resolve to get back into the game against West Brom at the weekend. Yeah, it's one of those one of those ones. They've they've scored a ninety third minute equaliser, but still probably disappointed not to come away with a win because you look at the stats, they absolutely battered West Brom. 21 shots to 5, 65% to 35%. They were the better team. But if you looked at a couple of the incidents where they just, similar to last week, where they just gift chances to the opposition and the opposition duly take it. And then you're making your life double hard when when your defenders, you're playing out from the back and making those individual errors. So it's always going to be difficult. I wouldn't write off... Ipswich just yet because even though they have dropped off results wise, their performance they're still dominating teams. They're just not be, they're not quite getting over the line, not scoring the goals that they were earlier on in the season. So maybe the well they'll have to change that obviously in order to get some wins back under their belt. But yeah, look, it is it's it's they're chasing two very well, three very good teams, but I think Leicester are unassailable now. But they're chasing two very good teams in in Leeds and Southampton, so it'll be very, very difficult, and it's very difficult to to predict that they'll get into that second automatic spot um, at this moment. But I just wanted to bring up um, one sad incident in that game, which was Daryl Dyke going down injured again. Um, I'll admit, not someone I'd heard of too much, but that's because he's been out for the last, I think, 10, 11 months with an Achilles injury. And he's just come back and he's only gone and done it again. He went and yeah, he's done his Achilles and he's going to be out for the rest of the season. And obviously it's heartbreaking when that kind of thing happens. But when you watch the sort of the clip of it, you can tell it's a bad one. And then when he's getting, um, well, he's actually on like the back of like a golf buggy 
and he's and you can see he's crying his eyes out as he's like leaving the pitch. Just it was gutting to see really because obviously these lads they put everything into being a professional footballer and we do sometimes give players stick for like having bad injury records and when it comes to like an Achilles like this, it's not it's obviously not the lifestyle thing that he's doing. It's just an like a a freak accident that happened 10 months ago and it's now reoccurred because it's probably weak. So, and so, yeah, look, I'm gutted for him because, because it's it's happened two times in a, in a row now. So heartbreaking for him, but hopefully we wish him a speedy recovery and hopefully he he can come back next season and um, stay injury free. Go on. I just say, like, Daryl DK, a player that you used to talk about, I'm sure, when he was at Barnsley. That's right. A couple of seasons ago, one of my favourite championship teams of years gone by um, was Barnsley of the, I want to say, like, 2021 season, 21-22. Valeri Ishmael was their manager, the guy that's currently the Watford boss. Um, Proper, like, blood and thunder, route one, but quite fun to watch team that were tipped to get relegated, but ended up in the playoffs that season, I think lost out to Steve Cooper Swans in the end. Um, but Daryl DK, the spearhead of that and scored some really good goals. And that's where his kind of stock came from in English football. I think he was in the American league beforehand. And that's obviously why West Brom signed him a very good striker. And on his day can score a lot of goals. So really, really disappointed to see him, um, rupture his Achilles. If that's what he's done again, uh, on the flip side of that, I've seen Tom Garrett, the West Brom fan that's on one of the other football podcasts, just simply say, had enough of DK now. So, there's the two sides of the coin. West Brom fans want him out. Oh, just quickly, actually, before we move on for West Brom, because I that Tom Fellows has been getting a lot of um, praise and a lot of talk in the media about how well he's doing. And he's 20 years old, and if you watch his goal, I know it's not the best defending, but he looks like a player. 20 years old. Um, I guess this is his big breakthrough year. Um and he looks like he could. Well, it looks like Premier League is in his future for sure because he's um, he's tearing it up for them. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a breakthrough year because he scored no goals in thirty eight last year for Crawley. Um, so West Brom have obviously seen something in that stint and thought we'll bring him back to the club and start playing him. So fair play to him at twenty years old to uh, to pick up some form in a, a couple leagues higher. Um. Some midweek action, so Leicester home to Sheffield Wednesday, uh, Southampton you've touched on at Bristol City, and Larry Leeds at Swansea, you won the reverse fixture 3-1, Joel Pirro, ex-Swansea player, Ruter and James scoring. Uh, they have been in bad form, but did beat Hull at the weekend. Just your thoughts on that game? I just fancy Leeds to win every game at the moment, to be honest with you. I think... We've got to, Joel Pirro sits on our bench and he's Swansea's best player ever outside of the Premier League, probably. So that just sums it up. Luke Williams hadn't won a game at Swansea until the weekend, albeit I'm shocked to see him go to Hull and pick up the win. That's a very, very good three points for them. But um, I think it would be a step too far to back that up with another three points against Leeds. Hopefully not famous last words, but we're very, very good. Leeds are very, very good and just a step ahead of most of the teams in the Championship. So... I expect us to march on. We've won six in a row, unbeaten this year, unbeaten at home all season, albeit tomorrow's at the Liberty. But it's live on Sky, not Red Button, live on Sky. So I'm looking forward to watching that in real time and hopefully seeing us put a few past the Swans. And then just the other team in the uh, in the race for automatic tips, which we just touched on, they go away to Millwall and suddenly every game looks really, really tough for Ipswich. But uh, Millwall down towards the bottom, so hopefully they can turn their form around Ipswich. Yeah, I watched Millwall yesterday, though, and although they lost to Coventry, he's got them going a bit. I think it's... Is it Joe Edwards, the manager there? Joe um, Edwards, something, yeah. something along those lines. Um, they look a little bit handier and a little bit livelier than they did previously, that's for sure. And although their probably league position doesn't show it, that will be a difficult game. Um, away from home at the Den on a Tuesday night when you're not picking up results all that often, I wouldn't be surprised if Millwall beat Ipswich tomorrow. And in that game yesterday, your uh, your man you've spoken about before, like Hadji Wright, grabbing a brace. Yeah, I, he's one of my favourite players to watch in the championship. I don't know, like I think it's like he's a bit old school as a striker, 
He's a little bit of like a Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank type player, but with a bit of pace and a bit of edge, knows where the goal is. And he's keeping Matt Godden and um, Ellis Sims out of the side at the moment. He started up front on his own with Callum O'Hare in behind. So, yeah, really good striker. But um, also I noticed in that game, Michael Obafemi started up front for Millwall. Didn't see that transfer happen, but he's a really good goal-scoring um, striker in the championship. So a good sign in there and another problem for Ipswich tomorrow. Definitely, and we'll be back on Thursday. We'll obviously uh, look back at those games and hopefully, as Murray says, not famous last words for Leeds away at Swansea. Move on to League One, boys. Just quickly run through some of the results from there. So Portsmouth won at Carlisle to extend their uh, gap at the top because Derby, Bolton and Stevenage were all held to draws and Peterborough actually lost 5-2 versus Wickham. However, Barnsley did win late versus Leighton Orient uh, 2-1 there. So it's all hotting up, uh, specifically in the playoff places there for League One. Uh, there is a full mid-week uh, fixture list in League One as well. One of the standout games is Exeter versus Derby. Derby is six points off top uh, of Portsmouth, but got a game in hand. But Exeter are actually the form side. Gary Coldwell, I think they went from September to Boxing Day without winning a game, and now they're on a bit of a run, and they're the form side in the league, Exeter, and slowly climbing up through the table. Uh, a club, obviously, quite close to us guys geographically, uh, and a, a ground that we've been to a few times to watch Yeovil with various different results. Like, um, but yeah, that looks like one of the standout uh, fixtures from League One midweek. Just quickly, Murph, as well, just a shout out for Cheltenham who yeah. beat came who beat Cambridge. Um, they are now only five points off the relegation zone, despite their terrible, terrible start. Um, five points off safety, sorry, shall I say? And they've got two games in hand. And the next two fixtures, Blackpool at home, Port Vale at home. So, Daryl Clark come in, done an unbelievable job and could pull off the impossible there. So, and just keep an eye out for that because, you know, we like to see or check their results after going, I think it was 12 games without scoring a goal. So, yeah. and. The side that they're directly behind and have got coming up, Port Vale, Daryl Clark's old team that he actually got promoted to League One in the first place. And if either of those teams do catch the team in 20th place, Nathan Jones, Charlton, who I think lost at Reading at the yeah. weekend. Um, so, yeah, squeaky bum time at the bottom of League One. But I'd back Cheltenham at the minute. They seem to pull off quite a lot of results and they've got a good young manager in Daryl Clark. So, yeah, Cheltenham, Leapfrog and Charlton would be an interesting one, wouldn't it? And if rumours are to be believed, Port Vale on the cusp of bringing Darren Moore in, sacked from Huddersfield as their manager. I was just going to say an interesting, interesting appointment that would be. Um, Darren Moore, someone who I think has a reputation of being a really nice guy, um, but possibly not the best tactical knowledge of football. And Huddersfield fans, I don't think, were overly pleased with him. I don't think Sheffield Wednesday fans thought he was particularly good before they turned around that 4-0 deficit in the playoff semi-final last season and suddenly he was uh, um, the special one for them. But that would be an extremely interesting appointment, Darren Moore at Port Vale, because all of a sudden you're not uh, one of the best teams in the league or in the championship. You're in a dogfight with a smallish side at the foot of League One. And if you, that's one of those jobs where if you don't get it right there, where next? You also see, you also see Robbie Williams um, went to a game the other day and amid talk that he's about to take over the club. He's a big valiant fan, isn't he, Robbie Williams? Mm. Yeah, he's he's a big fan. Yes, so I don't know whether it was just speculation. Um, I'll have to do a little bit of digging, but yeah, apparently there's some sort of consortium with him involved um, about potentially taking over the club. Right, let's move on to League Two, boys. So Stockport won three one at Grimsby. Uh, Mansfield won four 0 against Forest Green. Crew won one 0 versus Crawley. However, Wrexham lost at home to Bedford, which was a terrible result for them. Harrogate um, and MK Dons did both win as well. Just looking at some of the midweek fixtures, there's a tasty looking game: Mansfield versus Harrogate. Harrogate at the top of the form tables we touched on in a previous pod, but obviously Mansfield back in those automatic. Uh, positions. Stockport versus Crew, which is first versus third. Barrow and Wrexham um, have both got the bottom two in Forest Green Rovers and Sutton, so they should both be looking for three points there. But League Two, I know we speak about every week, but it's just 
so, so hard to predict. Teams seem to win and go on little two, three game runs and just start to find themselves in the playoffs. Wimbledon, who had written off because they'd lost their striker, are now one point off the playoffs. I saw Gillingham beat Notts County and they're back in amongst it, which is good for some bets that I know uh, a few of the boys have got on. So, yeah, it's just crazy. Newport, they're three points off the playoffs, top of the form table in League Two. So, crazy, crazy league. But, uh, yeah, full week. Uh, midweek fixture list for League Two as well. So obviously, I say back on Thursday, and we'll have a look at some of the results from that. Just on that Wrexham defeat again, that's their third league defeat in a row. And we spoke, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago about a blip turning into a bit of a slump, which seems to be that way. But they've got two games in hand on um, Barrow and Crew, and a game in hand on the top two. And Laura, I think you mentioned this a couple of times. In those leagues, you do sometimes get teams that need that have got like two or three games in hand. And as a fan, you like, I guarantee Wrexham fans are going, well, we've got two games in hand there, so that'll be six points. So you you like, you like do the calculations in your head and you go, well, we're six points above them in the league, so we'll be sitting in second instead of fourth. But the reality of it is those players and that manager will probably want the points on the board rather than the games in hand. Because now three, three defeats in a row, the pressure's piling and the game... Games in hand come thick and fast, and all of a sudden you absolutely have to win them, as opposed to they're a bonus. So pressure's on. And the Wrexham manager, do you think if he was to not go up Laro this year, they'd part ways with him? Do you think that it's a absolute must that they were to occupy one of those three automatics or get through the playoffs? Good question. Um, I, I think, think it would so. be harsh sacking the manager of a side that have newly promoted to the league for not getting promoted at the first attempt. Um, they're going to at least be in the. If they didn't make the playoffs, he'll be sacked. That's for sure. But if they got to the playoffs and weren't embarrassed, I think he'd probably be given, you know, at the start of next season to show that they can go and win the league. But I think, although I know they're owned by very prestigious owners with a lot of money. It, uh, they they still inherited, or Phil Parkinson still inherited the National League side, and there's a lot of players still playing there that were in the conference with them. And to be talking about being disappointed at being fifth in the league in February just shows probably what a good job he's done. It doesn't always work just signing all the best players, although it, it obviously helps. And obviously they've had their injury problems this season. Paul Mullen's not been fit for the whole of it, this, that and the other. Having said that, I think they'll go up automatically anyway. I think they'll come second or third. Stockport will win the league, and I think Wrexham will probably... They've had their blip, then their slump. I think they'll probably go win their games in hand. And Sometimes you say that the league table never lies, but it does, doesn't it? It lies every single week of the season until everyone's played everyone, because it's not a fair reflection otherwise, is it? People haven't played the same amount of teams. People quite often haven't played the same amount of games. And Like Tomo just said, if Wrexham win both their games now and they're in the automatics... and I'm sure Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney and all the rest of the boys up at um, T-Girl's second club will be more than happy with automatic promotion, which I think we'll get. From watching the documentary, Tomo, feel like he's got some credit in the bank, Parkinson, and that they would stick with him then. You agree with Laurie? Yeah, yeah. And they've got that... Um, obviously, the Hollywood owners um, are big on a documentary, but the, the guy sort of pulling the strings behind the scenes that Sean Harvey who's got a really um he's got a really like illustrious and long history in the English game so it's not just two Americans coming in and doing what they want etc and just then just sacking a manager if he loses three in a, three in a row they won't do that because they've got that Sean Harvey there who seems like he's got a good like a good head on his shoulders and he seems like a quite a reasonable bloke to be honest and obviously it's working out so far albeit Loro has made a good point that it does help when you've got the most money in the league and you can pay the most wages and you can buy the likes of um, Fletcher and McLean and these Premier League, ex-Premier League players. So I don't want to give him too much praise, but yeah, free, but still, look, cause for concern because you've lost three in a row and it's easy to then make it four or five. So yeah, big game tomorrow. Just thinking about the question about the managers, um, just since we've been speaking here. Obviously, we've seen an unprecedented amount of kind of championship probably level players or certainly players leagues above where Wrexham have been in the last couple of years join the club because 
it must be like there's a lot of players out there that I guarantee would rather play for Wrexham than play for Rotherham, even though they're two leagues below them. And is that the same for managers? And you just never know with like the manager situation and agents and how it ha- and how it all works and how the management team is recruited. Are there like championship esque managers? You know, putting their name in the hat behind the scenes, thinking I'd love to be Wrexham manager because you're going to have yeah. the biggest budget in League Two. You're probably going to have one of the biggest budgets in League One, although that does occupy some big clubs as well. It's harder. It it feels like if you're a good manager, it's harder to fail than uh, harder to yeah harder to fail than it is succeed. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of names would be in the hat for that job, um, and what the rumours were. To if there was speculation about Phil Parkinson's future, do you know what I mean? What kind of caliber of manager? Because Phil Parkinson, um, I think he'd been at Sunderland, Bolton, Bradford before. Wait, well, been at loads of clubs, but in recent history, those kind of big clubs before he went down to the conference in Wrexham, like never would have got him in a million years before like Ryan Reynolds and that came in. So now that they're a club at the top of League Two, what kind of what kind of name would they get there? We've already seen like Salford get Carl Robinson. So you're looking at someone probably in a league above that. I wonder. Yeah, you're almost playing football manager in real life at Wrexham for a couple of years, aren't you, with your big budget and decent players. And maybe if they don't go up and Parkinson was to go, you'd be taking him on a league two where you'd probably book his favourites and squad favourites to go up uh, as champion. So I think a few would fancy that job. There's a few undesirable jobs we just spoke about, like Charlton at the moment, Port Vale at the moment. Wrexham certainly isn't one of them. Another job not uh, undesirable at the minute, Lawrence, is the Yeovil Town uh, job to winning ways uh, against Tunbridge away on a plastic pitch. Uh, been a few concerns on, on that surface so far this season. A couple injuries still, but yeah, 4 2. Yeah took our chances which is obviously the name of the game and probably the reason that we'd drawn one and lost one recently which isn't the end of the world when we've won most of the games this season but yeah we've been to Kent three times in three weeks for St Albans then for Maidstone and now to Tombridge Angels we'd lost one of them we'd drawn one of them so it's nice to get three points under our belt and the team in second in the National League South at the moment Worthing are absolutely flying they just win every week. They score mountains of goals. Ollie Pierce, their striker, has scored 29 goals already this season in probably 30, 31 games. I think he's got 100 goals and 178 appearances for them. The only reason he's still at a semi-bro club is because he's one of those lads that have got like a really good job. So it doesn't pay for him to go and become a professional footballer in League Two, for instance, when he can get X amount of money a week at Worthing and have a really good salary at his job. So lucky for them because they've got someone who looks like he's League Two quality. And unfortunately for them, they ran into Yeovil Town this season, who are probably the best club maybe to ever operate a National League South level. So um, having said that, the point was we're 10 points clear, but that 10 points feels very squeaky with them winning every week. So we needed to win that. And we've got having a Waterlooville on Saturday at home, haven't lost at home all season, and they're in the relegation zone. So hopefully we can uh, take another step closer to that title. But whilst Worthing keep winning, it keeps us honest and it keeps jeopardy in the matches. I wonder how much that um, that fella who's, who's sticking to his full-time job and obviously on a part-time wage at football. I wonder how much he's taking in there, like four, four, do you reckon it's like four or five hundred quid a week? What, at Worthing? Yeah. <sighs> Murph plays three levels below Yeovil and there's players in his league that are on like, what's Brett Pittman on? At? Six. Yeah, like six, seven hundred a week. So if you're on yeah, so. if you're on a really good salary in your normal job and you're taking home seven hundred quid a week and you score and you're the top scorer in the league by a mile, that's some life, isn't it? And to be fair, yeah. the lad's like twenty eight, twenty nine. I think he's like twenty eight years old. So even if he left and went full time, he's probably only got maybe three or four years at his peak playing at League Two or the conference, for instance. Does he want to lose his job for that? I don't know. Obviously, that's a decision he'll have to make. But I'll tell you one thing, I take him at Yeovil every day of the week. Also, if you're playing at that level, you're normally having incentivization like most strikers for a goal bonus. It won't correlate to what a Prem goal bonus is, but it's all relative, right? If they're giving him 100 quid a goal and he's scoring a hat-trick every week just to top up his five 600 quid wages, then he'll be absolutely flying on his footy money and building a great career. Then he can carry on post his football as well. He's not 
going to be stuck in a rut where some footballers finish the game at 35 and don't know where to turn. So it sounds to me like Ollie Pierce has got it pretty much sussed out. Yeah, fair play yeah, to him. Fair play to him. We've finished with uh, trivia, so we're going to do something slightly different this week uh, for my turn. So rather than ask a trivia question, I'm going to uh, put a bit of a challenge out for you boys and the rest of the listeners. So it is Valentine's week, I mean Valentine's Day on Wednesday. So basically, I want you to build a five-a-side, and if you can, chuck a manager and a team name in uh, of players associated with Valentine's Day. So to give an example... You could have Rob who used to play in Russia up front. You might have Ian Hart at left back, sort of thing. But five or so team of players, a manager, and a team name. Any immediate shouts, boys? I thought you were going to give us five examples then. <laughs> no, 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 I won't take it from everyone. Uh, no, I'll leave it with you. Yeah, you'll have to leave that with us. <laughs> Bills, that's all we've got time for. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll run through the teams. We'll see what some of the listeners have come up with, but we'll also review all the uh, midweek action across Europe and across the EFL. But pleasure as always, boys. Have a good one. Cheers, mate. One, two, three.